Welcome to episode 78 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 78 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hello, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing so well. Super, super well. I am really, I want, yeah, I have um, really begun working on on my podcast in earnest, the the spinoff. I'm a spinoff, you know, we all love spinoffs, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So whenever I hear spinoff, I remember the first time I learned about spinoffs. It was the spinoff for Happy Days. Joni Loves Chachi? Yes. Yeah. I never watched it, but that was was what introduced me to the concept of spinoffs. And really, so many of those shows back then had spinoffs, and I hope that that this is a great spinoff. But I've got my first um, four guests booked already, and they're going to have some great success stories to share on the on the podcast. And so I got some music from the company that's helping me with production, and it's it's such a it's a little upbeat music that'll be in my opener and my the show ending. So I'm very excited. It's starting to feel real. I will announce the name of it at a later date. So November 1st, that's the, um, we're hoping episode one is ready. And then it'll be every Thursday after that. Can I say one thing that if somebody, you know, I have access to a lot of great success stories through my Facebook groups, but I know there's a lot of listeners out there that listen to this podcast. So if somebody has an amazing intermittent fasting story to tell, you can email me at Jen, G-I-N at ifpodcast.com and, you know, tell me a paragraph about why you'd like to, um, tell your story, and then I'll see about having you on my new podcast. It's so exciting. Who would have thought when we started this podcast about a year and a half ago that you'd be doing another podcast? No, oh, I never never would have thought that. <laughs> from You went from not listening. Well, you still don't listen to podcasts. Well, I listen to well, you do. sometimes. You listen to the sometimes. one I sent you yesterday. <laughs> right. If somebody sends me one, I will listen to it, right? Yes. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> Um, well, we do have a we do have an exciting announcement about our podcast. I don't think you know this. Ooh, I'm excited. What is it? We hit two million downloads. Ooh, that is exciting. I've been saying about two million when people ask, so now I can say over two million. Over two million. That sounds so legitimate and also a little crazy. That's just a lot. <laughs> it really just is a lot. <laughs> That's a big, big number. Yeah. It is a big number. Well. Hooray to everyone who's listening to our podcast. Thank you. And um, I hope that you'll listen to mine. And I'll tell you how to do that coming up less than a month away. Yes. We'll definitely send out information um, 
if, if you're not on our email list already, you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can sign up for our email list and we'll definitely be sending out announcements there about Jen's new podcast. Fabulous. So you can do that. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, I did buy something sort of crazy the other day. It hasn't come yet. Oh, gosh. It's not a goat bed. You've already got that. No. <laughs> I got my goat bed. Yeah. Which does not smell like goats now ever. That's good. I think, it, I think it's all good. Yeah. Good. I can definitely re- recommend that mattress. Good. But um, <laughs> I ordered something else crazy. And for all the new listeners who have never listened before, they're going to hear me say this and they're going to peace out. They're going to be like, this girl's crazy. Um, have you heard of those zappers? Um, is it for like trying to stop habits? No, I have that though. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, um, for killing parasites. No, I did not. I did not know there was a zapper for killing parasites. No. Apparently it kills everything like bacteria, fungi, mold, parasites. You, you attach it to your body and it creates a frequency in your body that detaches all of these things from your cell walls. So the saying goes. But people, I don't know. It sounds really kooky and kind of woo-woo, and I don't have it yet, so I don't know. But people swear by it, like on the internet. Well, how do you, how do you know it's not like getting rid of things that you need to have? Because, well, okay, I read a whole thing about it, and I haven't hardcore researched beyond what I this thing that I read. But it was saying that like pathogenic type species that are not um, beneficial to like a symbiotic relationship in the body – they have a certain they, – they thrive in a certain – I don't know if it was like a frequency or a energy level or something. Okay. And so by changing that, it gets rid of them. Kind of like the difference between like gram-negative and gram-positive bacteria right. or like acid and alkaline states. I mean, not the same thing, but just that concept of a certain environment benefiting – beneficial organisms versus benefiting pathogenic organisms well you'll have to keep us posted i will i'm really really excited (laughs) so excited good look hey i I told y'all the story before about how i had i had a parasite that elementary teachers everywhere are familiar with (laughs) yeah so yeah so i understand i also yeah i'm excited about the idea if it works i'm excited about, about the idea of doing that rather than all the hardcore like killing herbs all the time because I think it's that's just a lot for your system to deal with and the theory goes is that this gets rid of them without any negative side effects that's good well you'll have to see posted I will so for all the crazies out there (laughs) we'll see how it goes all right so let's jump into our first bit of listener feedback from Marsha and I love this one the subject is the Brady Bunch that we talked about on another episode and Marsha says, have to say, I'm partial to Marsha, but Peter was my favorite. Loving the podcast and grateful for all the wisdom and advice you share. Five and a half months IFing and 35 plus pounds down. Slow but steady progress. I know my body has lots of healing to do. I feel good and I can do this forever. It can take three years if it stays off this time. Best, Marsha, but not Brady. Thank you, Marsha. I love that. And um, I'm so happy you, you're about how well you're doing. Five and a half months, 35 plus pounds down. That actually does seem like some really good progress. So great. Congratulations, Marsha. Not and, Brady. 
not Brady. <laughs> I didn't even think about discuss about a favorite being one of the male, one of the the, the boys. Yeah. Who was your favorite did, of the boys? I did not like Bobby. Bobby always got on my nerves, so he's my least favorite. And I don't know if I liked Peter either. I guess I liked Greg. I liked Greg, but then later I saw because the guy who played Peter was still acting in some things and I saw him okay. something later and I thought he was very attractive and so then I changed right. my mind completely. Well, good, good. But yeah, I did love Greg. But I remember not liking Bobby at all for some reason. And and Peter, I'm a little more ambivalent about Peter. I don't know why. That's the way I was, like yeah. I said, until I had my crush later. There you go. Later well, down the road. <laughs> I'll have to search for him and see what he looks like. <laughs> I don't remember what movie. I think it was some like Hallmark movie. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh. There he is. Yep. That's funny. All right. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes. So our first question comes from Ryan, and the subject is intermittent fasting. And this is a short and sweet question, but Ryan says, Hi, guys. Can you stall on weight loss if you're not getting enough calories? So, yep, super short question, but super complicated answer. <laughs> Jen, what are your thoughts? That's a great question, and... You know, we've we've learned throughout um, research that people have done on on diet and weight loss over the years that yes, your body can slow your metabolic rate over time if you are dieting and um, on a severely restricted weight loss diet. You know, our earliest understandings of this came from the 1944 Minnesota starvation experiment, and we'll have a link to that and to a to a description of it in the show notes. There's so much written about this that you can just read and read and read about it. And um, the participants who were in that state, I know we've talked about it before, but it was right after, you know, World War II, and they were trying to figure out what to do about people who have been through the deprivation of war and had to um, eat low amounts of food over time based on, you know, the war situation. So the participants in the in the study were given about 1,600 calories a day, which really doesn't sound like starvation to us now in the whole, you know, diet mindset, right? Yeah, to, to that, was, I, that was the first thing I was going to say was I remember I would always read about that study, and I would always assume that they were eating like 500 calories or something, but then I learned it was like 1,600. Yeah. And I was like, wait. That's, that seems like, you know, because the advice for us is to <laughs> right. eat 1,200 a day, and no wonder we don't do well on those those restricted calorie diets. So um, over at the time of this study, the men that they were studying, they um, lost strength, they lost stamina, they had a hard time, you know, having the energy to do daily tasks, their body temperature went way down, their heart rate went down, they became obsessed with food and eating, they had like crazy eating behaviors where they would like hide food or smell food or lick food or like eat tiny little bits of it and save it. And, and they just wanted to just eat and eat and eat their, um, their appetite hormones were in overdrive and they really just wanted to, the, the drive to eat was strong. So we can learn a lesson from this experiment and that is don't, you don't want to feel like that. So if you find yourself now, I'm not talking about the first, few weeks of intermittent fasting. In the first few weeks of intermittent fasting, you are going to have low strength. You're going to have low stamina. Your body's adjusting to burning your own fat. So yeah, give it some time. But after your body is fully adjusted and you're a fat burner and you, you have the good energy period, if over time you start feeling worse and worse and worse 
and you find that you're becoming obsessed with food and your your hunger is up and you're wanting to binge and you're weak, that's a bad sign that you have been overdoing on the restriction. So, you know, the theory with intermittent fasting is that if you're listening to your body and you're eating according to your appetite, you should not get into the situation where you're in such a, um, a caloric deficit that your metabolism slows down. Because the, when you're doing the clean fast during the day, your body actually upregulates different hormones and growth hormone goes up. And then you're able to access your stored fat because of the fasting. And your body's like, oh, we have plenty of stored energy. And so you do not need to slow your metabolism in order to, um, to live. But you know, contrast that with a low calorie diet, like most of us have been on, where we are eating throughout the day, and you start off with a tiny little low calorie breakfast, and and then you're starving a few hours later, and then you have a tiny little low calorie lunch, and then a tiny little low calorie dinner, and you never feel good, and you start to be obsessed about food, and you start going through all those low calorie diet feelings. So, we may be eating the exact same number of calories with intermittent fasting. And that's the part that is hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. So maybe you're eating the same number of, you know, quote, calories that you were eating on that low-calorie diet, but you're eating them all in your eating window. But you don't have those same feelings because, what I explained earlier, the fast is allowing you to tap into your fat stores. Whereas with the frequent small meals during the day, you're never quite getting into that state where you're able to efficiently tap into your fat stores. So intermittent fasting does kind of change the state of the body to the degree that calories are not as important to the point that you have to really make sure you're, quote, eating enough. If you start to feel extra hungry, though, and feeling like you need the urge to binge, that's a bad sign. So don't let that happen. So really, as long as you're feeling good and Fasting is, is an easy thing for you during the day, and when you eat, you eat normally, and you feel good at the end of your, of your eating window. That's a really good sign. Starting to have you know strange feelings towards food, feeling like you're starving, feeling like you're getting worse and worse over time, that is bad. That is not what you want. So um, you know, can you stall on your weight loss if you're not getting enough calories, Ryan said? Yeah. I mean, if your body adjusts to a set low number of calories, especially if you're on a um, – you know, traditional diet, your weight can stall because your body downregulates your metabolism. We showed that in the Biggest Loser study that came out, I think, in 2016. You know, those um, contestants, their metabolism downregulated to match their lowered energy intake. And so even when they were not trying to lose any more weight, their energy expenditure was lower than would have otherwise been predicted just based on their new lower body weights. So like they, they had to eat 500 calories less because their metabolisms had slowed down, not just less because they were smaller, but 500 calories than their new size would have, um, would have predicted because of their, their metabolic rate slowing down. But intermittent fasting is different. And so if you listen to your body, you know, don't let yourself start to feel like you're overly restricting and get that, that feeling. And if you've been on a low-calorie diet, you know what I mean. As long as you pay attention to how you feel and you feel good, then don't worry about it. The key is, though, I find with myself, my body naturally wants to eat more on some days and less on other days. You don't want to be too consistent. Like, I wouldn't recommend, of course, I don't track, but I wouldn't recommend, even with intermittent fasting, that you every day eat 800 calories. 
day after day after day after day after day, the same 800 calories every day. And yeah, your body could adjust to that and you could stop losing weight. You know, it's homeostasis. Our body likes, likes to do that. But for me, I don't eat the same number of calories. Of course, I don't count them, but I know some days I'm hungrier. You know, a couple days last week I um, was busy and I didn't break my fast till later for two days in a row. And then the, the next day at about 2.30, I was like, I need to eat something now. My body is telling me to eat. I never eat at 2.30. I mean, I do sometimes, but I rarely open my window that early. I opened my window at 2.30 and I had something to eat and then I had, you know, dinner later and I ate a whole lot more food that day. I think I even had a snack after dinner. Then the next day I felt fine again. So that's really the key, listening to your body and not trying to purposefully restrict calories day after day after day. Pay attention to how you feel. Have some days where you eat more. You know, that's why the um, the alternate daily fasting plans work so well, where you're eating more one day and less the next day. I think I just naturally gravitate to that sort of pattern without trying. So I just threw a lot of information out there. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it all made sense. Melanie, what do you have to say about that? No, I thought <laughs> that was great, as per usual. Uh, I will throw in a few more quick things about calories. So as we talk about a lot on this podcast, calories calories themselves are really complicated. And we like to think that we can easily measure them. And we know, oh, I'm taking in this amount of calories and I'm burning this amount of calories. So that means I will lose or gain X amount of weight. But the studies just really don't show that. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, different calories are processed differently by the body. I have a whole introductory chapter in my book, What, When, Wine, and it's all about the different types of calories and why certain calories can boost metabolism, why certain calories may more easily contribute to weight gain or weight loss. So it's just, it's really complicated. So even focusing on the concept of calories is almost, it's just, I I don't, it's not exactly what we think it is, if that makes sense. Um, as far as if you can stall on weight loss if you're not getting enough calories. So yes, it's very possible that if your body feels like it's in a perpetually starved state and that it's not getting enough energy, that like Jen said, it can downregulate your basal th- metabolic rate so that you only need the certain amount of calories that you're taking in. So basically your body is really smart and if it does sense that you are chronically taking in low calories, you're not going to just you're not going to just die from the low calories. It's going to adjust your metabolism so that you can function on those lower calories and then you might not lose weight because you're just going to not be burning extra energy. So that's why you wouldn't be losing weight. Um there's also the whole central governor theory that our bodies do have this set weight point that's determined somewhere in the hypothalamus, but basically in a part of our brain that we don't consciously control and that that determines the quote set weight that our body likes to be at. And it can be hard to change the body's opinion of what that weight should be. But some people do advocate that chronically under eating will make your body maintain a higher set weight point. Um, And that's just a protective mechanism against starvation basically. But of course, eventually, I mean, if you were eating, you know, 100 calories a day, would you stall on weight loss? No. Eventually, you would, like, die. Yeah. So, so that was... You know, <laughs> eventually, you're going to... That was <laughs> my depends. next point. Um, <laughs> right. Because people will say, on the flip side, people will say, oh, long-term, 
I mean, we don't advocate long-term calorie restriction as like no. a plan, but people will say if you go on a long-term calorie restriction diet, you know, let's say you're eating something crazy like 500 calories a day, people will say, oh, you won't lose weight because your body will downregulate to that metabolism, to that metabolism. But in all honesty, I mean, if you're burning more calories than you're consuming, you're going to lose weight. Like, right. so <laughs> your body's like, not going to downregulate to the point, to the of point like that nothing. I mean, it right. takes energy to live your life. So yes, eventually you will you, and you'll so, lose weight and, and you'll feel awful though. Yeah. Like there was one study and I talk about it in my book and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it compared it. I don't remember exactly what it compared, but it compared like an intermittent fasting type diet um, compared to typical calorie restriction. It compared like four different diets and they all, I think they were all calorie restricted at, in some, I don't know if the intermittent fasting ones were both, but in any case, one of the takeaways from the study was that yes, for the different participants and the different calorie restricted diets, their metabolism did quote slow down. So their basal metabolic rate lowered and they didn't burn as much energy automatically throughout the day. But at no point did they stop losing weight. Like, because even though they were at a lower metabolism, they didn't stop losing weight because they were still eating less calories than they were taking in. Um, And see, that's the part that's hard to go long term because then your appetite hormones get cranked up because our bodies have these survival mechanisms in place. And that's the difference when we've done these low-calorie diets. Our bodies send us that drive to eat, 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 eat. Then we fall off the diet and we feel like we failed when really it's our body made us do that because of these hormones. That's what they're supposed to do. Exactly. So like, so yes, your weight loss can stall in a way if you're not getting enough calories because your metabolism might downregulate and you might not be restricting enough that, that, you're, that you're still burning, you know, like, I feel like, I feel like it's most likely to be a problem if you're just sort of not getting enough calories, you know, like you're, so like you're under eating, you're in a perpetually hungry state, your metabolism's downregulated, but you're still, you're not in a severe deficit. Eating enough to maintain. Right. So it's creating this situation where you're in a stall. Um, but so honestly, I would just go back to everything Jen said at the, at the beginning. The reason intermittent fasting is so amazing is that it does allow you to to eat to satiety, to regulate your hormones and your appetite levels, but then still enter the fasted state, the fat-burning state during the day, and to naturally create a calorie deficit at some point if weight loss is your goal um, without feeling hungry and without these counter <laughs> freak out mechanisms in your body that try to stop you from losing weight. Right. So, so yep. Yep, yep. It's so complicated. If it were easy, everyone would have just lost weight already and we'd all be done (laughs) in the world. Everyone in the world. But it's not easy. And it's because our bodies do fight back because your body does not want you to die. Your body wants you to live. (laughs) Exactly. It 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 wants you to reproduce. It does. It does. It will do what it can. After you reproduce, maybe not so much. Well, (laughs) that's a whole other topic. It is. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. This one has has Melanie's name written all over it, so I'm going to read it. This is from Michelle, and the subject is white wine versus red wine. Michelle says, I love, love, love your podcast. Thank you for all of your information. My doctor just suggested I go on the intermittent fasting diet, and so I have been listening to your podcasts. 
I also love wine. I listened to your wine podcast. I know Jen loves Prosecco, but I have always thought you should only drink red wine for health benefits and not white wine. I love all reds, but in summer, I prefer only whites because it is so hot. I don't drink too sweet of a white, meaning Moscato or Riesling. My friends told me I shouldn't drink white any longer. Do you agree? Well, hi, Michelle. Wonderful question. (laughs) Obviously, I love this question. It is very true that red wine arguably has the most health benefits when it comes to drinking and health and longevity and all the things. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, But first of all, I will say that in general, just studies on alcohol, not, not wine specifically, but just studies on alcohol show that alcohol itself, moderate drinking, does have health benefits as well. And interestingly, they've even found recently that moderate drinkers and heavy drinkers have correlate to longer longevity rates than complete abstainers. And there could be a lot of reasons for that, (laughs) Um, but that is something really interesting to point out. And so alcohol itself um, does have a lot of benefits, especially for um, the heart in particular. Um, It could also be a social thing that people who would drink are having, you know, more of a social environment and getting the benefits from that. But there are a lot, and also it can have, interestingly, people think that alcohol leads to weight gain, but it can actually, it's often actually correlated with weight loss, which is interesting. But when it comes to wine specifically, red wine is known for so many of its health benefits. And that's because there are a lot of compounds in grapes that act as that provide beneficial compounds to our body, um, specifically things like polyphenols and tannins and just a lot of different plant compounds. And the reason red wine is red and white wine is white is because when they're creating wine, with, with red wine, they macerate the grapes and they use the skins and the red color in the wine comes from the skins. Whereas with white wine, the, the skins are discarded early on. So we just are getting the fermented juice from the grape without contact with the skins. So interestingly, you can actually have white wine from red grapes. Um, most people think that white wine is from white grapes and red wine is from red grapes, but you can have white wine from red grapes because the skin is not used. <laughs> I learned that when I was at the um, the Chandon um, winery in California. I didn't realize that they, they make their champagne from, what is it, Pinot Noir? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, so Pinot I was like, Noir is often used for champagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shocked me. I, I had no idea, so I learned that there. Yep, it completely has to do with when they use, like, what if the skin when is when they take out the, the skin. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I thought what you just said. I thought white wine came from white grapes until I was there at the Chandon um, Winery, which I loved, by the way, loved it. it it's a beautiful winery. It's. Oh, did you eat out on the? Did you eat the dinner out on the balcony? No, we were on like a wine tour that day so we were like on like a wine bus that was taking us to a bunch of different wineries that was the last stop before we went back to San Francisco so we didn't have a meal but we did have we did have champagne well your favorite (laughs) it's true that's where I bought my champagne stopper that I use on my um on my Prosecco bottles but I do side note I have to get a new one because it broke and I'm so sad like the the part that kept it so right now I'm using a stopper on my bottle 
and I have to put a rubber band on it. So it looks really, <laughs> it's really classy right now. I need to get a new one. I think I actually threw mine away recently when I moved and I was throwing away all the things because oh, it had a little bit of rust on it. And I was like, yeah, out. Time to get a new one. Yeah. Well, out. I've got to get a new one. I'll, I'll get one eventually. Right now the rubber band is working. So, all right. Sorry. Sorry for the sidetrack. Back to white, white and red. So like I said, those benefits do come from the polyphenols found in the skins of the grape. And so in general, for example, red wine often contains about 10 times more of these polyphenol compounds than the white wine. And these compounds are one of the reasons that red wine has so many health benefits. So um, supporting the heart, even things like blood sugar regulation and even anti-cancer benefits. Like there are just so many benefits correlated to red wine drinking. Does that mean that you shouldn't drink white wine? Not necessarily. You're still going to get the benefits from the alcohol content in the wine. And then also like for one study, for example, it did find that the white wine specifically still showed incredibly positive influences on inflammation, um, like decreasing C-reactive protein, which is a a marker of inflammation in the body. And it was also good for regulating insulin and um, other metabolic factors. So you will get benefits from white wine. It's just very likely that you'll get more benefits from red wine. And like I said, that comes from all the compounds that we get from the grape skin. And interestingly, so these compounds that are in plants that are so beneficial for us, um, they're actually typically protective compounds in the, the fruits and vegetables that are used to like ward off fungi and pests and other things. And when we take them in, they serve as antioxidants in our body. And, um, If you think about it, though, when you're making red wine, you're crushing the grapes, you're macerating the grapes. Um, So that further concentrates and activates those compounds into the fermented drink, which is the wine. So if you just think about it, we're like attacking the grapes and they're releasing these compounds and then we get the benefits when we drink. So Michelle, I I don't think you should listen to your friends (laughs) who say that you shouldn't drink white. No, no. Um, Drink your white. If you prefer white to red drink the white. It's fine. Um, I would advocate maybe trying to expand your palate a little bit with the red. You might start to like it more, but um, definitely, definitely go with the white. It's also, as far as the health benefits go, and we talk about this a lot, but it's super duper important that you're looking at the sourcing of your wine because most of the wines that you're going to get, especially in America today, are conventionally made and if you'll notice, there aren't really labels on wines, so you don't know. You would assume that it's just grapes, like grape juice, fermented grape juice, but actually most wines that you buy at the store, they're going to have additives, they're going to have um, pesticides, they're going to have even things like colors and all these different... There's there's a lot of stuff added. It's typically not just fermented grape juice, and um, that's why it's really important to look for organic wines, and I think you'll really, really see a difference consuming those. Um, Jen and I both love dry farm wines and they are actually a company that goes throughout Europe and finds, they actually, they go all throughout, um, they go Europe, like all the other countries though as well. And they find the wineries that are practicing organic wine practices (laughs) without the label per se. And, um, they source those. So all of their wines are, so it's not their wines, but they find the wines for us. And then they have a subscription service that you can do by the month, but all of their wines are organic, which is amazing. They don't have any additives. They're all low alcohol, less than 13%. They're also low sugar, which is amazing because a lot of, a lot of wines actually have, are, um, made to be higher sugar content. 
um, but these are not. And so they, they, they say that their wines are keto-friendly and paleo-friendly, which is awesome. And we actually have a special deal for listeners. So if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash ifpodcast, you can actually, with your first subscription, get a bottle for a penny, which is pretty awesome. Um, but I know Jen has said before that she has really seen a difference drinking those. And I posted on my Instagram the other day about them and all these people were commenting saying how they were seeing a difference drinking them too. So it's really, really crazy. So long story short, yes, you can drink white wine. You'll probably see more benefits from red wine. Either way, I actually think it's really important to focus more on the the growing practices and the additives and such in the wine. Yeah, I agree with that. I got to the point where I cannot even drink um, red wine that's not from Dry Farm Wines. I know that sounds crazy, but my husband bought some that we had had before plenty of times, many times, and I was like, ugh, and we like ended up pouring it out. It's crazy. I didn't like it at all. I know. It's crazy. But um, I just have to go back to that one part that that you you said. Again, you stressed. My friends told me I shouldn't drink white any longer. Um, Michelle, I'm going to say get some new friends. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Please don't get new friends. But look, I do not choose to drink Prosecco because of health benefits. That's not why I'm choosing it. I mean, if it has health benefits, amazing. That's great. I enjoy having a glass of Prosecco. And that is more important to me than like choking down something I don't want to drink because it's supposed to be better for me. I mean, it would probably be better if I drank like kelp juice instead. I don't know. I don't want to drink that. I want to drink Prosecco. So... There's a lot more to life than like picking the the very best healthy thing at that exact moment when you really want something else. You know, health is tied to enjoyment too. You know, the lessons we learn from the blue zones, those people are not choosing, I mean, you know, the, the people who are, the, you know, the longevity, the research, the people who are living for a long time, they didn't know why they were drinking red wine. They didn't know why they were having these celebratory meals with their families. They just knew that was what made them happy. And then, coincidentally, they also lived a really long time. They were happy. They enjoyed their foods. They enjoyed their wine. So if you enjoy Prosecco and you enjoy um, having any other white wines, then that's what you should have. Now, I do have an article that we'll link in the show notes called, quote, White Wine May Be Just As Good For You As Red. Um, And, of course, it hasn't been studied as frequently as the red, but here is an actual quote from that article. It says, white wine has been shown by researchers at the University of Barcelona to be higher in antioxidants and has been associated with weight loss and anti-aging effects. So you can just tell your friends, say, I'm going for the antioxidants of the white wine and just look at them. That, that's my teacher look. And I find if you just say something and then just look at them, then they're like, oh, and then they <laughs> They let you drink your wine in peace. Okay. I do want to say, um, I think that's great, but I do want to emphasize that I don't want, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want listeners to think that we're going to like read a question and then find one study that supports it and then try to, yeah. So in, in general, my point is that, is that white, this is a, this is an article that says white wine may be just as good for you as red. And it's a point of view. And so you can feel good about the white wine instead of like your friends suggesting that exactly. you should not drink it. Exactly. Yeah. I th- yeah. So that's perfect. Um, you can definitely feel good about it. It's definitely going to have health benefits. 
Um, as far as the studies go, like overall, there's definitely much more support for the reds, but you can definitely feel good. And I love what Jen said about, about the context. And for me personally, I almost wish I knew nothing about whether any food was good or bad. Like, <laughs> cause I really, I honestly think that having like in the wine example that enjoying, like you said, Jen, having a glass of white wine and enjoying it versus having a glass of red wine and not enjoying it, you're going to benefit way more from the white wine. And I also just saw Michelle, sorry, I should have reread the question. She said that she does love reds, but it's just in summer she prefers white because of the heat. Oh yeah. So definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Do the whites in the summer, do the reds in the the fall, winter. You're good. Perfect. But I will say, I know (laughs) not to always plug my book, but if you want all the information about all the wine and all the research and the studies and everything, I basically I basically read everything I could find about wine ever. <laughs> and um, it's all in my book, What, When, Wine. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes because if you're interested, it's all there. And that is why I knew that that was a Melanie question when as soon as I saw it, I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is fascinating. Also, yes. the red wine has been shown to benefit the gut microbiome. That's random tangent but probably because of the tannins. and i think alcohol in general does right i think i think I read there's arguments too. for and against it. it it's it's pretty interesting there always are yeah it seems like <laughs> i know i think yeah i think it's just the context of everything but i do know in general i do know i read a study showing that red wine seemed to benefit um i think it was bifidobacterium specifically it was pretty it was really interesting actually i'll also put a link in the show notes i had a, a blog post recently about the benefits of red wine and all the things. So you can check that out. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 78, that's where we put show notes and links to everything that we talked about and all the things. So definitely, definitely check that out. All right. And so for listeners, so today's episode is sponsored by Prep Dish and we introduced Prep Dish two episodes ago. Prep Dish is actually a amazing meal planning service and they have gluten-free and paleo options, which is super awesome. But basically they get rid of all of the stress and decision-making surrounding mealtime. So we find that it works really well with an intermittent fasting protocol because basically what happens is every week they send you a grocery list and a recipe list so you know exactly what to buy and you can do all your shopping at once and then you can do all of your meal prep like on a weekend for example in a few hours and then you're good to go for the whole week. One of the reasons people really love intermittent fasting for example is because it gets rid of all of the decision making in general because you're not having to decide all day what to eat when to eat you're just making the decisions for your one meal so you're avoiding decision fatigue studies show that um like willpower for example is it's a finite reserve in the body so we can actually every day deplete our willpower so with dieting for example when you're making constant choices about what to eat and how much to eat and should you stop eating and you know, all of these things, it really can deplete our willpower. So by the end of the day, in a typical dieting scenario, you're just drained of willpower and you might end up just eating all the things. <laughs> and so that's one reason that with intermittent fasting, it can really free up willpower because you're only eating in this time window. So you only make decisions about food basically that one time per day. But with prep dish, you won't even have to make that decision because you'll get all of the recipes each week. You can make all of the meals on, you know, like I said, on the weekend. So there will be no decisions to be made surrounding foods beyond that prepping. I mean, talk about epic willpower. 
And then like we talked about on our previous episode, basically it's wonderful because if you already are paleo or gluten-free, this is going to align perfectly with your diet. But on the flip side, if you're not paleo or gluten-free, the meals are still absolutely amazing. And this is actually an amazing opportunity to try out a more whole foods based approach or just cutting out gluten without having to make all the decisions without feeling restricted because it's all going to be laid out there for you. Yeah. I think if they didn't say that they were gluten, like I've, I have been um, using the, the gluten free recipe selection choices. And if they didn't tell you it was gluten free, like you might not even notice, you know, I'm sure that I accidentally eat gluten free all the time. When I think about the meals that I have, you know, not I, I am not gluten free. I don't choose to be gluten free, but I'm certain there are days that I am gluten free. And so you may not even notice. Like for example, here's one of the meals for this week's meal plan: goat cheese artichoke and pine nut stuffed chicken with roasted butternut squash. I mean, that doesn't sound like some kind of wacky meal. Or um, potato and bacon soup. Now it has almond flour biscuits. And, you know, you do know that's a little different, but it sounds delicious, right? Exactly. Win-win situation all around, in my opinion. (laughs) I want to explain to listeners, first of all, how is this different than like a meal kit delivery service? You know, I've talked about using meal kit delivery services in the past, and I really love them. But the difference is with prep dish, you know, a lot of people still like to go to the grocery store. I have a really good friend, and she's like, you know, I like to go to the grocery store because I'm always telling her how I don't like to go to the grocery store. She's like, I love to go to the grocery store. So... With me, I don't love the grocery store as much. Of course, having a list like this would make it a lot better for me. But, you know, you do still need to go to the grocery store anyway. With the meal kit deliveries, they just send you everything. You don't have to go to the store. But with Prep Dish, you're going anyway. You might as well pick up these items. The key is you don't want to have to figure out what to have. And that was always my biggest dilemma. What am I going to cook? And, you know, I would fall into the trap of the same two or three things all the time because I just wasn't creative enough to think of something else. I guarantee I wasn't going to think of mushroom, bean, and beef tacos with avocado and jicama slices. That's one of the options for this week's prep dish, gluten-free menu. And I was just going to probably buy spaghetti again, you know, (laughs) or something that I always make over and over. So that's the beauty of it. You're still going to the grocery store. Now you have a list, and it's something you would not have already made. It's out of your comfort zone, but all the ingredients are there, the amount that you need. For example, you'll pick up one carrot and, you know, four avocados. It tells you exactly what to get. And, like, let's say you're not going to make the snack, the cinnamon raisin energy bites. That's item number seven on this week's list. So I just look everywhere. It has a seven, and I don't need to buy, you know, almond butter. For example, is off. I can just cross that off the list because I'm not making recipe number seven. But I think that actually I probably would like to make cinnamon raisin energy bites because that would make a great way to open my window. So I, I think this is a great service for a lot of people because you want to get out of that comfort zone of what you're eating. And you know, the meal delivery companies did that for me, but Prep Dish will do that for you as well. That's so funny that you brought that up because that's the reason I've personally never done a meal delivery service myself. It's because I talked about this before. I have to go to the grocery store every day. Like it's part of my, part of my life. It makes me happy. I don't want to. Like if you take that away from me, I'd be like, (laughs) no, I would still go. No. I'm like, oh, I have to go to the grocery store. Oh, one, here's, here's a funny story. One time I was making this cocktail because one of my, one of my, um, Facebook support group members was on a special trip and she got this fabulous coconut rum and she offered to send some to me. And I'm like, okay, I would love that. Thank you. That was so nice of her to do. And she sent it to me and it came and I had this wonderful coconut rum. So I wanted to make a cocktail. 
So I went to the grocery store and I bought organic pineapple juice and organic cranberry juice. And I was going to make this cocktail. And um, when I was unloading my car, I dropped the pineapple juice in the driveway and it exploded. And I was like, I have to go back to the grocery <laughs> store. And I almost said, forget it. I'm just not even going to drink this. <laughs> but I did. I went back to the grocery store. I, was, I thought I was going to die. But, you know, the cocktail went out. So if you like going to the grocery store, Prep Dish is perfect for you. If you don't like going to the grocery store, also perfect for you. Because you can go. You can knock it all out. You can be good to go. One time. Yeah. And guess what? Just for our listeners, if you go to prepdish.com slash ifpodcast, you will get a two-week free trial. So nothing to lose. You'll see if it's right for you. There you go. Completely free. So definitely go to that link. If you have literally nothing to lose, you can see if you like it. And then if you do like it, you can keep on keeping on with it. So that is prepdish.com slash ifpodcast. And you can just follow that to get your two-week free trial. I will also put all the information about that in the show notes. So that's ifpodcast.com slash episode 78. All right, so we can jump into our next listener question, and this comes from John, and the subject is listening to your body, and John says, I've been intermittent fasting for about two weeks, and I feel great. I found your podcast last week, and I love it. Thank you for providing such a great resource of information. You both talk about listening to your body and doing what feels right in terms of when and what to eat. This sounds much easier than it is, at least for me. I tend to have a problem overeating during my window, and I don't seem to have a clue what my body is telling me. I was progressing well, and now I feel like I am stuck. I come from a background of high school sports, where I was taught to push through everything and almost never listen to my body. I am now in my 30s, and that training has helped and hurt me throughout my life. At this point, though, I have eating habits that have nothing to do with listening to my body. The only way I stick to IF is by tracking it and forcing it. Also, I have to restrict what I eat in my window a lot in order to see results. My question is, how do I learn to listen to my body? Do I just keep doing IF and eventually I get there? Does meditation help? What do you or did you two do to get there? And how do you keep listening to your body's needs? Thanks, John. All right. This is a wonderful, wonderful question. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So, John... You know, I can just, that that one sentence I like highlighted where you said, I come from a background of high school sports where I was taught to push through everything and almost never listen to my body. And, you know, I think that in our society, we start training kids to ignore their body's signals from like day one. You know, like I remember when I was, um, when I, when I had my babies, you know, there was a very popular book at the time that talked about getting your children on a schedule, getting your babies on a schedule and that you decided when they were going to eat and you decided what the schedule was going to be. And then the babies just adjusted to your schedule. And um, of course, the good news is that did not work for my babies because they were like, "Uh oh, yeah, I'm going to eat when I want to eat. <laughs> but the mindset has been, you know, we, we train our kids to eat at certain times of the day. We train them. This is what you do. And then, um, and we, we tell them to eat more because we don't think they've eaten enough. And, you know, we, we spend our, our lives disconnecting from our hunger and satiety signals. So that is that is really, um, it's hard to, to get back in tune with your signals if you've been, you know, training yourself to push through everything for so long. And so I think a lot of us get that. A lot of us understand where you're coming from. So I just wanted to say that. That jumped out to me. 
Now, you have been doing intermittent fasting, John, for two weeks. So I think that is important to note. If you've only been doing it for two weeks, your body is still in the, the phase where you're not, even if you had not been in this situation, your body is probably not going to be in tune with your signals after two weeks. It takes a lot longer for the, the hormones to regulate themselves. So I know I talk a lot about Dr. Burt Hearing in his book about appetite correction. I would highly encourage you specifically, John, to, to find this book and read it. Because even though you're not there right now, your goal is to get there. And so he talks about um, how it works in a body that's functioning properly and also what can keep us from feeling these, these signals. He also um, talks about something called compensatory overeating, which is when you first start with um, an intermittent fasting program and you have your eating window, a lot of people typically overeat at first because you're like, here I am, I'm eating, and you just eat, 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 eat. So that's very normal for, for most of us when we're starting out. And then over time, your um, satiety and hunger hormones get into balance, and then you're like, okay, it's time to stop eating, I've had enough, and that's what he calls appetite correction. So eventually, you should get there, but you may have to do some things first. You know, some of the things he suggests, you know, food quality. I know this is true for me. I mean, it is really striking. Now that I've been doing intermittent fasting for so many years and now that I've um, learned to really listen to my body and, you know, I'm in tune with hunger and I'm in tune with when I've had enough to eat, um, if I don't eat nutritious foods in my eating window, I, I want to just keep snacking and munching the rest of the evening. Like a, a few weeks ago, I had it, it happen. And I can't remember what I was eating or why I ate it. I can't remember exactly. But whatever it was I ate was not full of nutrition. Oh, I know. I was I had this pizza that was delicious. And um, it was a high-quality pizza. But then the rest of the night, I felt really, really snacky because it just wasn't wasn't a lot of nutrients from, our, our, from my body. Our bodies actually, instead of counting calories, they are looking for nutrients. So if you start eating really highly nutritious foods, then that could help you make the transition to knowing when you've had enough to eat because, you know, certain really, they're, you know, they're very plant dense and high nutrition. I find I'm like full and satisfied and I don't feel the need to eat anymore the rest of the night. But if I have something that's kind of more junky, my body's like, all right, where's the food? Keep looking. That wasn't it. So that's just, that's just a tip that will help you. The, the higher quality foods you eat, I think the easier it is for you to get in touch with your satiety signals. And what do you say, Melanie? Yeah, John, so thank you so much for your email. And there's definitely a lot going on here, like Jen said. So I definitely think one of the main things to address is the mindset surrounding everything. So like Jen said, it's really telling and it's really telling what you said about being raised in this mindset of pushing through everything and not listening to your body. And that's definitely a really intense brain circuitry pattern surrounding food and surrounding how that manifests in your physical performance and how you look physically. And if you're in that whole mindset, especially since high school and now you're in your 30s, it's definitely going to be hard to change that brain circuitry. And I can completely see why you're struggling to make you know, to try these new eating habits and not feel like you have to restrict and all the things like that. Um, I will say something that Jim pointed out as well. So you've been doing intermittent fasting for two weeks. 
and you feel great. So that's great. <laughs> that's a good thing. So let's definitely focus on that for sure. You're doing it. You're feeling great. Um, so I am wondering if it's only been two weeks, how you are judging or knowing that you have to restrict in order to see results. Because if it's only been two weeks, I don't know how you could have, um, how you could see that much difference unless I'm guessing you're looking on a literal day-to-day basis. So it must be that, you know, you're consciously restricting and then you're evaluating the next day. And then maybe, you know, maybe you're not consciously restricting and evaluating the next day. But if you've only been two weeks, I don't know how you can, how that's long enough to see how one thing or the other is affecting your quote results. So you said, do I just keep doing IF and eventually I get there? So in a way, yes. Like (laughs) I think you need to give intermittent fasting a longer run than just two weeks before you're making evaluations or judging. And I don't even think we should make evaluations or judge in a way. Um, We should instead just experience what we're doing and see how things happen without judging it. And so I definitely think that the mindset, working on the mindset here is going to be huge. So I know it's really, really scary to let go of feeling the need to restrict because it feels safe in a way, like when you have these restrictions in place, it feels very safe to live within them because you know, okay, or at least you think you know that they worked in the past. So you assume they'll keep working in the future. And so it's almost safer to be miserable and live in this world of restriction than to potentially not be restricted and open the door to, you know, what you think might be weight gain or some undesirable result from that. And so it can be really, really hard to break out of that. And it kind of reminds me of the study that I talked about before. So they had a group of dogs in a cage that was locked and they would shock the dog. They would shock the dogs. And then they had some dogs in a cage that had never been shocked. And they found later that when they put these two sets of dogs in a cage with an open door, so the dogs could actually leave the cage if they wanted, the dogs that had never been shocked when they tried to shock them, they would just run out the door because the dogs had never been shocked before. They didn't have these ideas in their head about being shocked. So when it came, when the people came and tried to shock them, they would just leave. They would just walk out the door. But the dogs who had been shocked before, when people would come and try to shock them, even though the door was open, they wouldn't they would not leave the cage. They would just sit there and be shocked. And that was because they had all of these brain circuitry in their head, and they were too, I guess, quote scared to leave the cage like they would rather sit in the restriction and the pain that they knew rather than try to actually escape that and the only way they could make the dogs that had been shocked before leave the cage through the open door was to literally drag them out of the cage so in a way it's like you have to just trust trying something else and trust that dragging yourself out of the cage or dragging yourself out of this mindset that there might be another possibility. Like the door might actually be open, that there might actually be potential on the other side. And I know that sounds sort of esoteric, but I think it it can manifest physically in your habits and your routines if you can just try and trust intermittent fasting as a concept that you're going to follow and maybe let that be the paradigm 
rather than focusing on the the restriction paradigm, which I'm guessing is probably things like calorie counting and um, maybe certain types of food. I don't know. You don't say exactly, but I'm guessing it's something like that. But if you can, you know, just try trusting yourself and seeing what happens if letting intermittent fasting itself be the safety. So you're eating within this eating window and then um, being more liberal within that eating window. And so something else I'd really recommend, I talk a lot about the book, The Yoga of Eating. And um, so that's a wonderful book about mindset and trusting yourself and food choices. And I cannot recommend it enough. And actually, I don't think I've, have I talked about you haven't. I haven't. Well, you've talked about that you're recording one, but you didn't say oh, which one. So I actually, <laughs> I'm obsessed with that book and I've been recommending it to listeners so much. And there actually was not, or there right now, there's not an audiobook of it. So a few months ago, I reached out to the author and I was like, I love your book. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. I recommend it to our listeners all the time. We get so much wonderful feedback about it. Can I record the audiobook for it? And yeah, we had a lot of back and forth conversation, but I have actually recorded the audiobook. It's actually right now, it's not up, but um, it's in the very final stages of production with ACX or, or Audible. So it should actually, by the time this episode airs, I think it will be available. Um, so I will put a link in the show notes. That will be ifpodcast.com slash episode 78. So that will be the yoga of eating the audiobook <laughs> narrated by yours truly. Yeah, so that's an option. So for all the people who've been waiting to get that book on Audible, it will be out. So I'll put a link to that. Um, so John, I would definitely recommend you check out that book. You don't have to get the audiobook version. You can get the print version if you like. But um, if you like audiobooks like me, um, anyone hear me talk about all of it in the book, you can get that. So that would kind of relate to your question about does meditation help? Um, I think meditation can definitely help if you're the type that responds well to that. It, but I think you're definitely on the right track if you're seeing that some sort of mental change, so be it meditation, be it the things that are discussed in the yoga of eating, be it mindfulness, um, just so many different things. I think that will really help. Another book that I recently started reading, and I'm almost done with it, and I think it's the first book that once I finish it, I'm going to read it again right away. Like, <laughs> that's how good it is. That's called It's the Untethered Soul. Have you heard of it, Jen? I have not heard of that one. Who wrote that one? I'm going to write it down. It's by Michael A. Singer. It's one of the top books on, I don't know, meditation, but mindfulness on Amazon. It has like okay. so many reviews. Um, it's changing my life. It's amazing. And I think, like I said, it's literally the first I'm listening to the audiobook, and the narrator is amazing. It's it's funny. It's just so, it just really gets you. Like you're gonna you're gonna love it, John. I really recommend you check it out, okay. and listeners check it out. Um, but like I said, I think it's the first audiobook that once it's once I'm done with it, I'm just gonna right away play it again because I think I might do it like three times. It's that amazing. Um, but that could be something that if you're looking into meditation and mindfulness surrounding everything, it's not about food, but I just think in general it could really, really help. So I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well. Very last thing. I know there's kind of this tension there because you feel like you have to restrict and that that's part of your pattern and you don't want that with intermittent fasting, like having to feel the need to restrict. But it is true in, in choosing an eating window at the beginning of intermittent fasting that, I mean, that is a, a rest, quote, restriction, but it's not really a restriction, but it is something that you're subscribing to and you're putting in place. Um, and it's not really even, quote, natural. So I don't think you, you need to be worried because you feel like, oh no, with intermittent fasting, I have to stick to this window and that's going to feed this habit that I have of feeling restricted and feeling forced. 
And so that's a negative. Not necessarily. Like with intermittent fasting, yes, you are choosing to eat in this window. But I does that make sense, Jen? Like I don't want him to think I don't want it him does. to think that um because he has to follow this window that he's being restricted. You know, right. like that it's feeding this problem. Yeah. So I think if you can disassociate that and just see it as you're choosing to eat in this window, and yes, it is something that you're sticking to, but you're not restricting yourself. You're just choosing to eat in this window. And then I love what Jen said about the food choices themselves being healthy. And I think that will really, really help. That that was actually one of the first things I wrote down that I hadn't talked about yet was that if you are taking in foods that are skewing with appetite signals, which would be th- especially like processed foods today, I don't right. know if you are. It can definitely help <laughs> if you don't take in things that would really mess up your satiety and your appetite signals. So that would be processed foods, additives. So I think if you can just trust to eat whole, natural, healthy, delicious foods in the eating window that you choose, trust that process, give it longer, give it longer, trust it, see what happens. I know it's scary, but I think you'll get there. Sorry, that was really long. There's just so much though. Check out those books, John. You'll love them. <laughs> and I wanted to add one thing. You talked about the... um the fact that the window feels restrictive. And I have to say, I struggled with that at first. And that was part of the the feeling that I had from 2009 to 2014 when I kept um, going on and off, on and off, because I was like, oh, I'm restricted to this time of the day, blah, 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 blah. Of course, I was not doing clean fasting. I do want to point that out. And so it was a whole lot harder to fast, I think, when I wasn't doing the clean fasting. I was like white knuckling it every day till when my window opened. Once I learned how to do, you know, fasting with just black coffee, just plain waters, nothing flavored or nothing sweetened, the fasting got so much easier. And that is when it truly shifted to not feeling restrictive anymore. Like all of a sudden the clean fast made the difference and the light bulb went off in my brain and I'm like, I feel so much better in the fasted state during the day. So I got to the point eventually over time where I no longer feel like like it's restrictive. Like for example... We're going to um, Atlanta this weekend for Parents Weekend at Georgia Tech. We're going to see my son there. Um, it's our his last year in college. I can't believe it. He's about to graduate. I know, but Parents Weekend, and we're going to the football game. And then we're supposed to go out to brunch the next day on or on Sunday with um, his girlfriend's parents. And um, I'm like, you know. I don't know if I'm going to eat brunch because I'm going to be recording two episodes of my new podcast that afternoon and I don't want to be all sluggish. So I might not eat brunch and I'm trying to decide. And I mean, I could totally eat it if I wanted to, but I'm, I think I won't just because of how I feel better without it. So I, my point with that is, do I feel restricted and like, oh, I can't eat eggs Benedict and I like them? No. I'm like, well, there'll be another time in my life that I can eat that. And I just, I'm not restricting. I just want to feel the mental clarity and I want to feel good. So I'm not going to eat it. I'm glad that you said that and you got what I was saying about like the, the, the weird tension. I think it's, I think it's like, yeah, I think it's really important to know you always can eat if you want, like you can. Mm-hmm. So there is That's not, it. you can, you can eat boundary that you can't break. If you want to eat, you can. And and do if you want. It's fine. Like, that's okay. But the first time you realize you don't want to, even though food is available and it's food you like, that's when you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. So, definitely let us know, John. Let Yay. us know how it goes. All right. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own question for the podcast, there are two ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. 
can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. That's also where you can get on our email list for all the announcements, like announcements about Jin's new podcast and all the things. And um, you can also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and then you'll get the episodes downloaded each week. You won't even have to do anything while you're in iTunes. If you would like to write a brief review, that would be super appreciated as well. And then you can get our books. I have What, When, Wine, and Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear. Those are available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. So you can definitely check those out. And if you are able to write a brief review of those books, that would mean the absolute world. And lastly, you can help support this podcast and make it possible by going to patreon.com slash ifpodcast. We have certain fun incentives there um, for making donations to help support the podcast so things like getting your question featured on the podcast as well as even phone calls with Jen or I so lots of fun things you can follow us on Instagram as well we are if podcast and you can follow us on Twitter we are the if pod and we have a lot of exciting episodes coming up we do so yeah I'm really excited <laughs> yeah alrighty well I will talk to you next week alright fabulous I look forward Bye. to it Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.